Welcome to the JVB Health and Wellness Podcast. On today's episode, we talk about metabolism. And this was a call we had where we had a number of participants on, and we talk about various things related to metabolism. A few people had suggested we do a call about metabolism to me recently. I think that people think about and equate metabolism to their weight, and most often we see if somebody is gaining weight, they say their metabolism is slow, and if they're losing weight, they say that their metabolism has sped up. Um, I've spent a lot of time on this over the last 10 years thinking about it, and so we have a spirited discussion about things that, what metabolism is, uh, what things that impact our metabolism either way, and bottom line, you know, how the importance of just trying to live healthy and follow various pillars in order to be healthy, so under the hood we're healthy and we're metabolically healthy, and as a result of being metabolically healthy, our metabolism is strong. So if you only listen to this introduction, the most important thing for our overall health and wellness is to be healthy, and that is to do as many healthy things as we can. And in my experience, coaching people for more than 10 years now, and I don't just talk about you know the pillars, I live them every day, and I've had wild swings in my health up and down over the years, but the last 10 years, nope, I've been really, really good. And those things are sleep. You want to sleep at least seven hours a night, preferably seven and a half to eight hours. You want to go to bed about the same time. You want to get up about the same time. You want to be on a circadian rhythm. You want to exercise. Probably one of the top things I saw in my research is the importance of exercise, aerobic exercise, some cardio exercise, and some strength exercise. You want to eat well. You want to get tons of fiber. You want to drink water. You want to drink green tea was one of the things that came across the most that I try and get into my body most days and many other things that we talk about here. Enjoy. I want to talk about a topic that, uh, that somebody recommended and that is metabolism. <laughs> and it, it, it's very interesting metabolism because uh, I've done a lot of research on it and I, I took some notes uh, just prior to this call also and thought it would be helpful to talk about what metabolism is and kind of some of the things that I've read and some of the things I hear about metabolism and then ways to potentially speed up your metabolism or slow it down, right? So, um, you know, I hear metabolism blamed for everything on the planet, particularly when somebody is overweight or, you know, gaining weight all the time. Right. So let me just read what metabolism is. What is metabolism? Metabolism describes all of the chemical processes that go on continuously inside your body to keep you alive and your organs functioning normally, such as breathing, repairing cells and digesting food. These chemical processes require energy. The minimum amount of energy your body requires to carry out these chemical processes is called the basal metabolic rate or BMR. Your BMR may account for up to 80% of your body's daily energy requirements. Depending on your age and lifestyle, a slow metabolism is more accurately described as a low basal metallic, uh, metabolic rate, a low basal metabolic rate. Body size, age, gender, and genes all play a role in the speed of your metabolism. Muscle cells require more energy to maintain than fat cells. So people with more muscle than fat tend to have a faster metabolism. 
as we get older, we tend to gain fat and lose muscle. This explains why your metabolism may slow down as you get older. And, and everywhere you read, you will see once you get over 40 years old, your metabolism often slows. But I think that that logic of, you know, how we gain more fat and lose muscle explains why it might slow. In general, men tend to have faster metabolism because they have more muscle mass, heavier bones, and less body fat than women. Hey, Tony, we're talking about metabolism. Your metabolism may be partly determined by your genes, although this is not yet fully understood. Genes definitely play a role in muscle size and your physical muscles, both of which, which impact your metabolism. Am I fat because of a slow metabolism? People who struggle to lose weight often blame a slow metabolism, but there's little evidence to support this claim. Research actually shows that overweight people have a faster metabolism than thinner people. Larger bodies require more energy to carry out basic bodily functions. Putting a slow me metabolism to one side, something else might be at play here. Research suggests that people tend to eat more than they think they do. When asked to write down everything they've consumed in a day, many people tend to report eating far less than they actually do. And I've heard this many times that, you know, most people underreport by about 20 to 30% and even experts underreport what they eat by 10 to 20%, uh, 10 to 15%. More often, not, more often than not, the reason you're putting on weight is not because of a slow metabolism, it's because you're eating and drinking more calories than you're burning. And Harvard actually says, which is interesting, that um, the reality is that metabolism plays a minor role when we talk about weight gain. The greatest factors as you age are poor diet and inactivity. So I'll pause there. I got a bunch of things that I wanna go through and talk about metabolism, but does anybody have any reaction to anything I just read? I'm just gonna attribute it to over 40. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea, Shruti. Anybody else? Any other comments? Uh, Jim, I have a question. What um, what uh, does what effect does fasting have on your metabolism? Well, it's very interesting because uh, there is this there's this great book called by Jason Fung. Um, I read it. The diabetes, I'm trying to pull it up. You've read it, right? Uh, the, 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 the diabetes code. And it talks a lot about fasting. And I do. Oh, sorry. I, I didn't read that one. I read his book. Just He has a book on fasting. Yep. Yeah. But he's I, got another, he's got another, I just read the cancer code too. Yep. Yep. And I've read uh, the diabetes code also. You know, one of the things that uh, the research shows is that if people that that tend to want to go on crash diets or um, do heavily, I'm going to get to answer your question, but I'm going to say this first, people that tend to do um, calorie restricted diets, you know, really focus on calories, eat far fewer calories, um, tend to, what happens is they tend to slow their metabolism down. And, you know, when they go back to eating the way they normally go back, they, they, they can't speed their metabolism back up. This explains why somebody who can be really, like somebody can go on a crash diet and they can lose 20 pounds very fast. But then when they go back to their normal way of living right away, they gain 30 pounds back and they can't, why did I gain more than I lost? I'm not doing anything different. A lot of that is because your metabolism really slows down. I think that, um, you know, you, yeah, I, hate, I get this question all the time about intermittent fasting. 
And some people are on these codes right now where they will eat for eight hours a day in a certain time and then they'll fast for 16 hours a day. Hey, Tony, looking good. I'm definitely interested in your views on any of this as we talk through this. But, um, you know, a lot of people believe in doing that. And, and, and look, the answer is that who knows? Ultimately, in my experience, people that go on what I'll call these fad diets, they do these calorie restricted things or they go on the intermittent fasting, it's usually not very sustainable for them. And so they tend to under eat a lot and they tend to just really starve themselves a little more. And so when they go back to their normal life, they they start to gain weight again. There is some evidence and you saw it in these books, Emilio, where they say that 24 hour fasting has some real benefits. And I know you've done fasting a lot and you can talk about that, but it's, some of the, it's, it's so hard to sustain. Like who's going to go and take one full day off a week for their whole life and not eat. You know what I mean? It's really hard to do. Right now I'll, I'll turn it over to you. You can talk about some of the fasting you've done. I think it's personally in my experience as a coach, it's much better. And I'm going to go through some of the things I took notes on, but it's much better to try and live a healthy life and do some of the things we'll talk about here to try and make sure you are healthy, which ultimately will speed up your metabolism. Back to you, Emilio, on some of the fasting and some of the things you've done. Oh yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious about, it. I mean, the one thing that seems clear to me, at least from reading those books is if you've got a insulin problem or you want to get your, blood glucose under control. Fasting is not a bad way to do that. To your point, though, you know, anything would have to be sustainable. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I fast once, sometimes twice a week, but mostly it's just Mondays from Sunday dinner to Monday dinner. I don't I don't eat anything. So that ends up being somewhere between 20 and 25 hour fast. And I do it every week. You're doing that right now. I know you had done that before. Then you stopped and then you started back up. You started back up again. Yeah, and I, I don't find it difficult at all. I mean, I think, uh, you know, fasting for longer than that, like if you wanted to go through the night, that's a little more challenging. Um, but it doesn't seem to interfere with anything else I do in my life, including the running. Um, but you're not true. You're taking some uh, electrolytes in, right? And no, zero calories. No, zero calories. The only thing I take in is uh, tea or, you know, or coffee, usually just green tea and water. And why do you do that? Um, I do it because it seems to be like a nice break for me. I mean, as you know, like from my not drinking in January, I, I believe in habit breaking is a good idea. And I think there probably are health benefits. Um, I do feel pretty good during the day when I'm, when I'm doing the fasting. Um, and I think it helps when I come back to eating, I certainly appreciate it more. I seem to slow down in my eating. Uh, at least Monday and Tuesday. Uh, and um, it's easier. I mean, Monday, it's funny because Monday ends up being my, my busiest day at work every week. And it's a lot easier, you know, have to take a break to eat, uh, to crank and get a lot done. So that seems to work out well, too. And you do it from Sunday night to Monday night. So you then you have dinner Monday night. You have That's dinner right. Sunday night and then you... Have so dinner. Yeah, so dinner to dinner. But you have dinner Sunday night? And then, yes. you, right. So you really are only skipping two meals, even though it's a kind of. That's, a 20- no, that's right. That's right. You're only only skipping breakfast and lunch. Yeah. I mean, doc, Dr. Fung in that in those books that you referenced definitely talks about 24 hour fast. Look, I, I ultimately, 
if, if it's working for you, great. Do you find that you pig out for the dinner before you start the fast and then pig out for the dinner when you get off the fast? Yeah, I mean, you pig out a, a decent amount, but not enough to, I mean, you, you know, you'd have to really pig out to make up for all the calories that you would have had during, during mm-hmm. the day. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I probably eat a little bit more than normally would. Yeah, I will say that uh, for those, I think we all know Emilio. Emilio is an ultra marathoner and runs 100 mile races like it's nothing. So you're going to be a little tougher than most people. And I think it's going to, most human beings could not do that every single week. Some people might do it and many people do the intermittent fasting, but it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, I would just say, because Elizabeth does it with me, I would say it's definitely easier than I would, you know, would think. Yep. I mean, you don't, I don't, didn't spend all, you know, I don't spend all day long just uh, wishing I could eat something. I feel hungry sometimes. But yeah, I think it's hard to sustain. I think it's great if it works for you. People should do what works for them. You know, yeah. I think that uh, for most people, that's really hard to sustain and trying to live a healthy lifestyle across a number of the different pillars that we talk about on this call are are some of the most important things. Before I go through some of those, I want to see if anybody else wants to jump in. Tony, you have anything you want to say? I do. Um, I can't tell if I'm muted. Am I muted? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you at the hospital? All, well, yeah, I'm still in my office and all day today I'm on Zoom meetings and I'm like, can anybody hear me? And these big pauses occurred. And finally, I'm just like, yeah, I guess this is the new normal. Anyway, yeah, I had a couple of points that I thought I should kind of reinforce. Number one, your pancreas is not an inexhaustible source of insulin. It only has the capability to make so much insulin. When you gain a lot of weight, you're just putting unnecessary tissue on. So, you know, your pancreas can run on insulin pretty easily. That's important not to forget. Secondly, your tissues become insulin resistant without exercise. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I know you guys all know that, but it's, I think it's a point worth sort of stressing. The third thing is, I think it's important to remember you need water to burn fat. There's fasting and there's fasting. And personally, uh, I think if you're fasting, but you're drinking water, that's probably the smartest thing to do. Um, I mean, I'm a little bit biased as a pediatric urologist. If you fast and don't drink water, you're more likely to make a kidney stone. And nobody likes kidney stones. They're not fun. No, they're not fun. Everybody, every woman I've ever seen with a kidney stone says, I'd rather deliver two babies in one day than have another kidney stone. Wow. Mm. Crazy. The other sort of last two points I want to make is a Protein is very important so that you don't lose muscle mass. And I mean, I think we're all talking about preserving fitness and, and trying to maintain muscle. And so, you know, eating protein and drinking water is a good idea. That's all I'm really trying to say. And then the last thing is I did read something recently that there's good evidence that fasting, even for 10 hours a day, more or less limiting the time that you eat during a day has some very good health benefits. And so, I don't claim to be an expert on it, but I read something about that recently that said it was a reasonable thing to do. That's very, it. very interesting because you covered a bunch of things on my list and I'll go through it. But um, it's interesting to get your perspective as a doctor because you think away about the way things work under the hood and you think about the pancreas and other things. So that, that's fascinating to me, Tony. Um, let's talk about what happens 
when we talk about the pancreas and we talk about insulin resistance, right? What, why does that happen to the body? Is that when you're not drinking enough water? Is that when you're not exercising? Is that when you're not sleeping? Um, well, as you can tell, Jim and I did not practice this discussion ahead of time because I'm going to say, you know, I'm really good at urology and vaguely aware of this whole insulin resistance thing. I, I'm sorry. I wish I really knew why that happened, but I'm just being honest. I, I'm not really sure. I know it happens. Yep. Do, do you know something about it? Probably more than I do. Probably not that much more other than I know that the, the, the thing I hear the most when thinking about metabolism is sleep. And, you know, we'll talk about different um, pillars here that, you know, that we all talk about and preach, you know, there's exercise and there's movement and there's activity and, you know, uh, nutrition and sleep and all those things are really important. But, you know, I spent a lot of time preparing for this and looking at sleep, right, and trying to get natural holistic sleep on a circadian rhythm, going to bed about the same time every day, getting up about the same time, and trying to sleep at least seven hours a night, preferably seven and a half to eight hours a night. And those that don't sleep enough, don't often create excess insulin and have all kinds of other issues, right? And so that's pretty much all I know uh, from a sleep perspective. Anybody else? I, I, wanna... Go ahead, Tony. Yeah, I definitely agree. There's a there's a very strong connection. I'm sorry, I wish I knew what it was scientifically, but like I say, Jim and I didn't rehearse this. We're, you know, just... Uh, <clears throat> not ad-libbing, but you know what I mean? It's spontaneous discussion. Anybody yep. else have any thoughts? So I thought my metabolism started changing when I turned 30, right? So, you know, I could get away with all the drinking and, eating, you know, with some running, but once I hit 30, I was like, wow. And that's when I saw the big shift. Um, so I don't know, if, you know, you said 40, but I, I saw it at 30. And then I was fine for the thir my 30s, I mean, I got to spend a little more time in the gym, cardio and um, lifting. So, you know, my body fat was low, but as I've gotten older and it's now, you know, 20 years later, it's hard. And I always question, like we always talk about, all right, why do I have that extra fat? Because I eat well, even though I might eat a little bit more and I exercise. So it always comes back to me about the metabolism. You have a response to that, Tony? Uh I completely agree with you, you know, shall we say anecdotally? I mean, I think at 30 and 40 and 50 and 60, you notice big changes in your metabolism and you hear all sorts of new noises when you get up in the morning. At first, you don't think it's you, but it's you. So, yeah, no, I mean, I agree. If anything, it made it better. But I, I hear you on just normally, under normal circumstances, it can be quite painful. I do find that again, it's something that you get used to pretty easily. You know, it's, it's a horrible habit to start like the cold showers, but a weekend, it seems to just kind of, you know, you kind of settle into it. Yeah. So, I got yeah. A prop there. Hey, what'd you guys talk about there? You, you, you. need a cold shower, Jim. You need a cold shower. I was, I was bad mouthing you uh, about how you made you know, recommended the cold uh, ice bath after a marathon. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it's, it's, not for, it's not for metabolism, I recommend that. I recommend that right. to give, give the body equal coverage, you know, not ice, just cold, to try and, like, 
reduce inflammation and with Epsom salt, it's always good. But some people do believe, and I suspect Emilio said this, that taking cold showers or getting cold therapy can help with your metabolism. Is that right, what you said? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I was asking. I was just curious if you bought into that or you believed that that was, you know, an advisable uh, strategy. I mean, to me, these are these are hacks, right? And the, the you know the fasting for twenty four hours and the taking cold showers might be hacks that can help your body. And you know, there's a lot of evidence probably that both work. But I'm much more interested in what is sustainable for people daily and what can people do on a day-to-day basis to try and give themselves the best chance to rev up their metabolism, keep it fast, keep it moving, right? And so I'd like to go through some of those things. I'll pause and see if anybody else wants to jump in, but I'll go through some of the things that in my research I've seen and I can kind of tie them together with what I've seen as a coach and what I see for myself personally. Anybody else want to say anything else before I go through that? Okay. You know, so you're going to, this first one is, is interesting to me. Um, and that is the thing I saw most consistently is something Emilio said, and that's green tea, believe it or not. Um, that's the thing that I saw the most in the most sources that I looked at is having green tea with nothing in it. So black, just plain um tends to help the 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 metabolism of body speed up due to some of the ingredients in the green tea and i know for me i try and have green tea every day i have a list of things and i know we talked about this in amelia you know we've talked about these checklists green tea is one of the things on my checklist every day now i throw in some ginger powder and i throw in some turmeric also I, I, I use this, uh, this is the one I use today, which I'm drinking right now, organic green tea from Trader Joe's. I don't really care if it's organic or not. I mean, because, you know, I want to get the phytonutrients and the other chem- good chemicals from the green tea tree. You know, it said something that I was interested in here. It said pour, pour um, hot water over a tea bag. And I don't even think it has to be hot. You can drink it cold. Sometimes I drink it cold. But only steep it for two to three minutes, no longer. Steep too long, it may become bitter, which I thought was interesting. Do most people... Steep their tea longer. What about you, Emilio? No, I don't. I don't over uh, steep my tea. And I was going to mention that um, if uh, if you're looking to spend a lot more money on tea than Trader Joe's, um, but make your life easier if you don't like steeping tea, there's an interesting company called Peak uh, Tea, P I Q U E, and their tea is very expensive, but they only source from really high quality ingredients and they sell, they have a special technology they use that um, basically crystallizes the, the tea. So all you have to do is you open a packet and you just add hot water to it. There's no steeping involved. And, you know, again, just in thinking about making a sustainable habit, if someone didn't want to steep tea every day or worry about it, it's a really easy thing to do. And it's easy uh, you know, the only one downside is it is really, it's pretty expensive tea, but they have, it, it's, check out their website. They've got really good, a few different uh, green teas available. They've got some really good fermented teas. So pu'er teas for your gut, um, some turmeric teas. Again, just something to, to, you might get a kick out of checking out. 
Yeah, send, send that to me and I'll send that around to people. So it's basically like an instant tea? Yeah, that's what it is. Interesting. Have you done research on it to verify its quality? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, no, no. It's, it's, it's probably, they seem to do a lot more. Uh, let's put it this way. They're probably doing more to vet their teas than Trader Joe's is. And look, I, you know, I think that's great. And, you know, I try and get any type of green tea into my body, assuming that any green tea is good. But, you know, hey, doing the research for better quality stuff is 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 always good also. You know, I, I like I said, I put a little bit of ginger in here and a little turmeric. And I actually put some ground some pepper in here also, because they say when you have turmeric and you have a little pepper, it, it increases the absorption into your body. So I thought that was interesting. Um, you know. Um, you know, the next thing we can talk about is exercise. And as Tony said, you know, doing some combination of, I'm paraphrasing here, Tony, but doing a combination of strength training and aerobic training is, is really, really important for your metabolism. And it's both, it's not one or the other. So, you know, strength training can be lifting weights, doing body resistance, could be walking up and down stairs, running has some element of strength training to it for the leg, but any type of strength training that you can do is great. Um, and it helps build muscle. And as we talked about at the beginning here, sometimes the reason metabolism slows down is because we start to create more fat in our body than muscle. And so it seems in all the research I've done that the more muscle we have, the faster our metabolism can get revved up. The other thing it talks about is doing some, you know, you know, me, I'm a big advocate of trying to keep your workouts easy. But it also talks about doing some level of high intensity at some point during your exercise. So that might be if you're running, run a mile or two really hard. It might be do intervals on a bike or on an elliptical. It could be doing a high intensity strength class. But all those things can be great for revving up the metabolism. And I'll pause there and see who wants to add. I've been waiting. Justin. I've been waiting. You're on camera. Good to I see am. you. <laughs> um. I've been weight training on my uh, tonal and uh, it's been going well. I don't know if my metabolism has gone up. My weight has gone up a little bit. I'm not sure what that's about, but um, it's how, you know, how would I even know though? You know, has my, at what point would I know that my metabolism has kicked up a notch? Because this is why I don't focus on just metabolism, right? This is why I have a program of, hey, let's make sure we get enough sleep so that we give our body the ability to be metabolically healthy. When you do all the research on sleep, what you see is, you know, diabetes is a metabolic disease. And Tony, you can talk about it a lot more I can, but when I do the research on sleep and, you know, living healthy and eating well and all these things, you know, if you don't do those things, your body is not healthy on a, a metabolic level, right? And those things tend to then slow down our metabolism. So I never, ever, as I'm thinking about following these pillars, think about, oh, my metabolism slow. Although if I fall off the pillars a little bit and maybe I'm not sleeping as much, like lately I've not been sleeping quite as much as I need to, I notice that my body feels a little bloated. I notice that maybe my body gains a little bit of weight. And I know after doing on this program for so long, okay, I got to sleep more. I just have to do it or I'm going to gain weight. You know, I, if I'm eating a lot more processed food and I'm not getting a lot of fiber, I know that I'm going to gain weight. You know, if I'm eating a lot of food that is not nutrient dense, 
Like one of the things I read all over the place is eat tons of fiber. You hear me talk about this all the time. The fiber gives the body a workout. And the body, even though like, you know, a piece of corn or a cherry, it's dietary fiber, it kind of comes out the same way it goes through. The body is still trying to... <laughs> trying to absorb that, right? It can't. So it gets spit out the same way. It'll pull out all the nutrients out of it and everything that it can. But the fiber gives the workout, the body a workout. And it and everything I saw says, and the body works harder to try and do that. And it speeds up your metabolism when it does it. So I think the mindset, Justin, should not be, hey, I've gained a few pounds and it's all my metabolism or I don't know if it's my metabolism. I don't really care. I know that if people are exercising they're active and they're not moving they're eating well they're eating lots of whole foods you know they're eating lots of plants not doesn't have to be 100 plants but they're they're you know they're having animal products meats salmons fish whatever they're surrounded with lots of fruits vegetables nuts and seeds we know that if people follow those pillars that they're going to be healthier than not what's your comment to that i mean I'll just, yeah, I mean, I don't, I won't focus on the, the weight thing, but I think that if I, you know, if I stay active, it stands to reason that the metabolism would kick in, but I just don't know when it would be. But I thought maybe I'd try some of the green tea too. That's a good idea. Yeah, um, that list. I try and do the green tea, tea most days. I probably hit it five days and when I need to be better, I try and hit it seven days. It's so easy, right? You can just do what Emilio does with crystals, or you can do what I do, which is grab any type of green tea and steep it, you know? Right. I, I carry these things around a lot. I'll, I'll steep it for, you know, two or three or five minutes, and then I'll just keep the green tea here, and then when I'm driving the kids around, I have some green tea. Now, the other thing that Tony said, which is very true, is drinking as much water as possible. It's not waterlogging your body. But there is all kinds of evidence out there that if we drink water consistently throughout the day, that we do rev, rev up our metabolism versus those people that just don't drink a lot of water. They're, they definitely seem to have faster metabolisms when they are drinking more water. Who has comments on that? When do we know if we've had enough? Same thing with sleep. Well, sleep, the experts will tell you you need at least seven hours, and that's sleep, right? At least seven hours a night, and the reason you need seven hours a night, and preferably seven and a half to eight hours, for me, if I get seven hours, that's great. I feel a lot better when I get seven and a half to eight, is because your body goes through REM and non-REM sleep, and you get so many cycles of this that they say that it flush your, flushes out all kinds of bad stuff in your brain when you get more sleep, and if you don't get at least seven hours enough, you don't get enough of those cycles. So... You're probably like me. You probably don't sleep seven hours every night. Harvard says that if we sleep six hours or less a night on average, that we quintuple the risk of death from anything. Six hours Jeez. or less a night. We have to sleep. And huh? if you don't sleep, you you know can get sick. You can crash your car. You get more diseases. Your insulin levels go up. So your metabolic rate slow down. You gain weight. I've read that you know you have these uh, chemicals like ghrelin and leptin that help us feel, one of them helps, I forget which one it is, but one of, them, one of them helps us feel satiated. And when we don't sleep enough, those, I think they're hormones, don't allow us to like, like feel full. And so we get hungry. So a lot of people that under, under sleep overeat because of that, because they don't have the hormones working the right way. Does anybody want to add to that or know more about that than I do? 
Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, uh, I don't know. Um, so let me first do, uh, talk about the water aspect or whatever I know of it. Um, I'm not certain about the met- metabolism part of it, but I do know that, um, you know, growing up, we used to be told, like, what, drink as much as water possible so that you wash off all the toxins, especially when you're sick, like they keep telling you have more water because all the toxins of the body kind of keep getting flushed out. So that was one thing I thought was pretty key because, you know, anything, anything that sort of accumulates in the body, just drinking water kind of is a really simple, nice way to just keep getting rid of all the unwanted stuff in your body. Yeah, let me um, just jump in on that, on the water. Yeah, um, the other yeah. note that I took was, that, that I took from a number of things that I researched is that if we are dehydrated at all, even a little bit dehydrated, our metabolism can slow. So that's probably one of the science reasons why if we're not dehydrated, uh, then uh, if we're fully hydrated, in other words, that maybe we give our metabolism a better chance and I'll just add one more thing, and then Truthy, I want you to keep going. You know, Justin, you know, you hear, the, they used to say, drink as much water as possible. And then you had a bunch of marathoners who got this thing called hyponatremia, which is they drank too much water, right? And they died running these marathons, right? So I, I think it's like, like what I try and do is I try and have water with each of my meals. And I have like a 16-ounce bottle of cold water. I love cold water with each of my meals. So I have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and I try and drink it just during my, throughout my snacks throughout the day too. I did read in a number of places that sometimes they say maybe you want to have more smaller meals and snacks throughout the day than three big uh, meals, which, you know, maybe people have faster metabolism if they had some snacks in between and maybe ate a little less. I don't know. I just read that a few places. Uh, Shruti, back to you. Um, I had a, a different thought on a prior topic as well, which was on the intermittent fasting part of it. Um, so what I, I did a ton of research on that, and I actually do intermittent fasting, have done it for a long time. And um, it's sort of in a way to give your body rest from, um, and parts of it is also liver function and things like that. Uh, uh, so it's basically how you um, but often people don't know how to do it right and uh, you know because when they you know you go through 16 hours of pause and then you're at a point where you're completely starving and then you load up on like so much food that's not really how you do it You, you sort of train your body and right from the beginning like if you can if you think that you can do eight hours without eating then you start off at a slow pace which is you know just extended by one hour when your body gets used to it then you extend it by another hour and there's really no science that says it must be 16 hours whatever you can handle your body you just need to give it a long enough rest so that it's not constantly operating on you know, trying to process food and trying to do things like that. Um, having said that, I try when I break my fast. I mean, it's like now it's become a routine, like breakfast is at 11 every morning. And then, but when you do break, I mean, take your breakfast, which is break your fast, basically, 
you don't change your portion sizes. It has to be the same portion sizes. If you're going to pick out at that point, then it defeats the purpose because your body is again trying to process so much more food. Uh, so, but then it comes back to your point, Jim, which is um, you need to take small portions throughout the day because your body also needs you know, how much ever energy it needs, depending on your individual's height and weight and everything else. So it's just how you, there's, there's a, uh, there are a couple of good documentaries and, and, and articles I can send you, which actually talk about the right way to do intermittent fasting and not the typical, you know, uh, trend ways of doing it. Um, um, if, if you want, I can send some of those to you. Great. But, uh, yeah. You know, I, I do, I do, in my experience in working with people over the years, I think the most important thing to be well-rounded, it's you got to sleep, you got to eat well, you want to get a lot of fiber, you know, you want to, you need it, as Tony said, you need to consistently exercise and you need to move too. Like a lot of times people will say, I get my exercise and they sit all day long. Right, and they sit for 12 or 14 hours a day and they don't move. Activity is super important for metabolism and inactivity causes your metabolism to slow down. So the thing that I have, the thing that I think about is when I hear somebody tell me they're doing intermittent fasting, to me, almost always, well, everything you said, Shruti, is great. And, you know, maybe you're doing your fasting. But most people, when they do the fasting, they're doing it because they think that that's going to be a panacea and a cure-all, and they don't have to do the other things. And I think it's really important that people do the other things. You know what I mean? Otherwise, you know, if we're not exercising, we're not doing some combination of cardio and strength, we're not doing those things, our metabolism is going to slow down. If you're not building the muscle, it is going to slow down. If we're not eating lots of fiber and we're not trying to be a nutritarian, if we're eating mostly nutrient-deplete things, that's not good for your health. And your body is going to react. And as Tony said, your uh, pancreas and other things are going to react. You know, it also said that it's important when I did some research that, you know, you want to make sure your body has the right nutrients in it. So vitamin D, vitamin C, vitamin E, B12, all these other things are very, very important. I have all the people I coach check their vitamin D and B12 because most of us are deplete or deficient in vitamin D. And that can make a huge difference for your metabolism because when you're deficient in these nutrients, your body metabolically isn't healthy. When your body isn't metabolically healthy, it struggles. Tony, any comments to add to that? Uh, I echo your comment on vitamin D. It is um, apparently those of us that live at northern latitudes basically can't, the sunlight can't convert your inactive vitamin D to the active form that we need. So supplementing is a good idea so jim i actually wanted to ask you a question i think justin brought this up he felt like he gained a little weight do you have a opinion about those bathroom scales that tell you how much percent of body weight is muscle how much is water bone stuff like that you know i think different people use scales for different reasons and i think scales can be a great thing to keep people accountable um i have some of those scales that measure when you step on them, they say that it will take some sort of 
grounding or something from your body and it will interpret all these things, including your fat and BMR and all these things. I don't personally put a lot of faith in those things. I think people get too tied into those numbers. Now, weight is one thing. You do want to maintain a good weight, right? And is the BMR accurate? I don't know. Like I'm a big bone person. And so my BMR is going to be different than, you know, Emilio's smaller than me. Right. And so I don't know how much faith I put or reliability I put in those things personally. I don't know if others do. I think some, some people definitely believe in those things, but like I have evolved to where I've coached so many people that will quote me things from those scales, but yet they're, they're, they're patently unhealthy. Right. Or people that, you know, do a lot of the different things we've talked about here. And they're really just unhealthy. Their blood work is unhealthy and they're, and they're only doing one or two things, which is better than zero things. So I, I don't uh, put a lot of faith in those. And I will say, I don't, I don't base everything on weight, like whether or not somebody is doing well, whether or not their metabolism is going faster. It's not all about weight. It's also about your waist size. And like, you know, I had that surgery with my gallbladder and I went down, you know, my weight, I lost a bunch of weight right before that for whatever reason. I've gained some of that weight back. And I tend to feel a lot more energy, energetic and better, slightly more pounds than less pounds, right? And I think I'm still in a healthy range. But if you go and you have me on one of those scales and you compare because I'm a big person, big shouldered, like, where am I going to fall on a chart? It might actually say things like, well, you should be weight here. Your weight should be 10 pounds less and your BMR should be 3% less or whatever it is. And so I don't put a lot of faith in those things, you know? I put much more faith in trying to be healthy and, and follow the program and, and live the pillars. And I'm going to pause there and Tony, get your opinion, see if anybody else wants to jump in. I, I don't want to uh, hog the conversation. Anybody else have any comments? Because I have kind of a follow-up to that. So, Jim, we figured out what scale to get, whatever it was. And I got that scale from that company in Scandinavia, whatever it was, right? And that was the best one. We debated the Garmin one. So I got that HealthMate, whatever is the app, um, and it was fine and it works. And, you know, you could probably see my data, but then because of the pandemic, I couldn't bring it with me or I forgot to bring it with me, whatever. So I bought this thing online. This, it was 25 bucks and it doesn't connect your Wi-Fi, but it connects your Bluetooth and it does your percentage body fat, bone weight, water, like all those things. Um, and it does your metabolic rate or like it tells you what age you are, your metabolic ages. And like, I, like you're saying, like everybody's different and I use it directionally, but I do find it motivating to keep the weight down. And when it does go back up to say, okay, I did this and I did that. So I know why it went up and you know, the goal is to obviously get it down. So, but I just thought that interesting that, you know, I spent $200 on that scale, whatever, a year or two ago. And now for 25 bucks, you basically get the same thing, which I think for people is beneficial because it gives you, some direction. I think weight can be a great accountability tool. I agree with everything you said, and I don't think you need a fancy, you know, thing. I think when we started, we were thinking about would it would it sink, and back then, that's that's where we we're at. You had to spend that kind of money to get to sink into some sort of data with Garmin. Garmin has their own scale too, um, but to me, like a basic scale that only uses the scale. That, that sounds like that's what motivates you. It's not even some of the other things that it gives you. I mean, I don't need my scale to tell me the weather, which it does too. I think it tells me the weather, you know. What's your follow-up, Tony? Yeah, good, good. That That's actually kind of where I was going to go also is using a device like that, using a scale like that to trend your data, I think has some value to it. And I agree with you, Jim, you want to be careful about using it for some sort of absolute health measurement, 
and kind of where I was going is the old, you know, when you start lifting weights, you actually do put on muscle and it weighs more than fat. I'm sorry, it's more dense than fat. So your weight goes up, which is not necessarily a bad thing. And so using a device like that to sort of trend, okay, what's your body fat? What's your muscle? What's your water content? I think has a little bit of a, a, a little bit of value is what I'm trying to say. I also want to point out, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jim. I was going to say, yep, it, you know, the only thing I question is, you know, how does it come up with the values, right? And are those values accurate values? But on a relative basis, yeah. if you're improving versus the first measurement versus the 10th measurement versus the 700th measurement, then I agree. And it's relative against yourself, right? So I agree with that. Yeah, and I think that's what uh, I think Justin said by directional kind of. So I did want to actually make a comment about drink as much water as you can. I, I would add like a caution to that because we have these things called thirst receptors in our, in our palate and they're actually really good. And so if we consciously override them, we are at risk for hyponatremia and seizures and death. So I, I would kind of throw out a gentle caution there. There's an easy way to figure out if you're dehydrated, look at your pee. There's an easy way to figure out if you're overhydrated. When you pick up some water and you, you look at it and you feel sick, that's because your thirst receptors are telling you, you probably don't need any water right now. So yeah, it's good to try to drink a lot of water, but I would sort of suggest listen to the thirst receptors and look at your pee now and then because those are reasonable uh, modifiers. I went and got a glass of water when you, when you were talking about the, um, the kidney stones. I was like, holy crap, I better get some water. I do not want to do that. What? I've been through that. I, you better get some water, I said. I've been through it. And look, my, my rules for water are I try and have it with each of my meals. And by the way, having the water, and instead of having a sugary beverage or something with calories with not a lot of, not, not, not a lot of nutrients is always good too. Some people can lose weight and speed their metabolism up simply by drinking more water and avoiding the things that they were drinking before. You know, a lot of people drink a lot of the sugary beverages or other things that might not be as good as water. Water is great. Um, I don't obsess about drinking water. I just try and have it each of my meals and then throughout the day. You know, I have some tea too, so you get a little water there. Maybe you have some coffee. I don't, I, I know that there's all these things out there that say if you have coffee, it was worth half, 50% of the water value or whatever it is. I don't know what those things are. I just try and, if I'm drinking water, I try and do it in my meals. And if I'm having coffee or tea, I try and have those black now. There was some evidence that I saw that caffeine and coffee can rev up your body a little bit, might rev up your metabolism, which I thought was interesting. Not just the, um, nutrients in the green tea, but there might be some other things, uh, benefits of the cough of the caffeine that might help. And Tony, I'm interested if you have any comments on that. Yeah, absolutely. When we tell people who have had kidney stones, here's what you want to drink. And we say, you know, the key is water. You want to aim for two liters a day. But the most important thing is coffee counts as water. You just have to recognize, yeah, the caffeine is a mild diuretic. And so if you drink a lot of coffee, you know, six hours later, you probably want to drink some water to counteract that diuretic effect. Um, Darn it. What else was I going to talk? And then you'll remember looking at your urine, though, is so, so important. And particularly for those of us on the phone that are runners, we all know 
we want to keep our urine, and Tony, you'll correct me on this, but we, for a while, I think they said you want it to be completely clear. I don't think you want it to be completely clear. I think you want it to have a little tinge of yellow, right? And like we know when we go out and we do a 15-mile training run or 18-mile training run, we come back and it's like so yellow. Or if we're ultra marathoners and Emilio, you can jump in. Sometimes it looks even brown. It can be dangerous, right? But you know you're drinking enough water if it's kind of got that yellow tinge to it. Tony? Yes, uh Definitely. Well put. Uh, crystal clear is not your goal, but Coca-Cola colored. Yeah, that is too much. And, you know, Coca-Cola colored urine is actually not good for you either. It's good for the urologists who treat kidney stones. Yeah. Um, Did you remember what you were going to say? Nope. nope I'm All sorry. Right, uh, uh, Emilio, you want to talk about um, urine color or anything else we've been talking about here? Um, yeah, I mean, it is something you definitely worry about in the, the super long races. I mean, really, that's, you, you know, I definitely pay more attention to my pee during those races more than any other time in my life. Um, I, you know, I find that uh, depending on where you're running, uh, you might have to drink extraordinary amounts of water, right? If it's hot and you're sweating like crazy, you just have to keep, you know, not nonstop drinking. Um, when it's cool out, I don't even drink that much. You know, when I, I usually do a 20 mile or more run, you know, once a week, I usually take two, uh, I guess those are like 32 ounce water bottles. Does that sound right with me? And usually, uh, they're probably 20s, but... yeah, I think they're, maybe they're 20. Yeah. Maybe they're 20 ounce bottles, but two of those and I'm usually fine. And then I drink a lot of water when I get back. But on the super long runs, yeah, you really have to be careful. And I know people who've had, you know, gotten very dehydrated and gotten themselves into trouble, ended up on an IV. Um, you know, the, the, the big one that seems to happen is the, you know, I did that rim to rim to rim uh, Grand Canyon run. And you start off and it's pretty cool. Uh, and then at the bottom, it's, you know, usually around 100 degrees. A lot of people who do that run end up at the ranger station hooked up to IVs. So that's one where, you know, you probably want to pack in more water than you would think um, and just have it be a little heavier because you don't want to mess around with that. Totally. Totally. Tony, do you remember? <laughs> Not exactly, but I think Emilio might you and Jim, Jim and Amelia, you might comment on this. Um, there's a philosophy that your initial rehydration with exercise should be water, plain old water. But there's also an idea that after a certain point, I think it depends on how much sweat you have produced. You probably do want to supplement with some electrolytes. Um, I'm going to say Gatorade, but I don't mean Gatorade because I think there's a lot of sugar in Gatorade. Uh, there's a different, um, oh yeah, that's what it was, artificial sweeteners. That should go on the list of, you know, green tea, exercise, vitamin D. I think artificial sweeteners are much, much worse for us as human beings than people are really telling us. And sure. that, yeah, that's what it was. So I did remember. Sure. Was, so do, do, do you guys have advice in terms of like, when should you start hydrating, not just with water, but with uh, electrolytes? Yeah, I think that's a really hard thing. I mean, Jim, you'd probably know more about this than I do, but it's a hard thing to gauge. Um, I think 
Um, I tend to, after, you know, certainly in those long runs, if I'm sweating, I do it by sweat. If I'm sweating a lot, I definitely, you know, once every couple hours or so, will supplement with a little bit of, of salt. And that could just be regular salt or eating some pretzels or something. But uh, I, I definitely... What's salt that? Tabs, or you can do salt tabs, right? And I've done salt tabs too. I, I tend not to go crazy with those things, but um, yes, I think that's I think that's right. I think from what I've read, it's a really good idea to keep that in the mix, and and it might help you from getting into trouble by drink, uh, just drinking too much water without electrolytes. Is different with salt, you know. Um, I, I I run with chia seeds in my water bottle, which has some magnesium I think in it and other things too. So I try and get it there. I, for when I do Ironman races or long races, I do have to supplement with some salt, salt tablets. Usually, try and get the highest quality ones, which have electrolytes. Certainly, don't do Gatorade, which has natural flavors and colors and all and sugar and all kinds of bad stuff. I'm, I, I don't have a problem with sugar really, because it, it's simple. Sugar sugars get absorbed very quickly when you're doing doing endurance races. But I do have problems with natural flavors or the colors, you know, and I do have problems with high fructose corn syrup, which is in Powerade, right? So there are some healthier options that can give you some salt and magnesium for endurance athletes. And I know for me with the Crohn's, when I finished a couple ultra marathons and a couple Ironmans, my, I already have twitching in my legs, but the twitching can be pretty extreme where if I take pressure off my legs, I get severe Charlie horse and cramps, which tells me that I haven't done enough salt and I have not been able to figure out. I've done too much in races and I've done, done not a little in races. And if you do too much, you feel like crap. And if you don't do enough, you have that problem where I can't put my leg down. And I, which means I can't get in the car and drive home from an endurance event for a couple hours after sitting in the medical tent where I'm just kind of drinking, you know, I, like literally they would give me a glass and we put a bunch of salt in there and I would shoot it. Right. I'd have to wait for it to wait, wait for it to make its way through my body, which means I didn't take, take enough salt. Emilio, you, know, you ever been there after a race? You probably haven't been. No, I mean, I, I think I, I think of something that you you've talked about before, which is after a race, the importance of keeping moving. I think it's probably yeah, even more important for the muscles, right? You just you don't want to go sit down, and uh, I, I think that and uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I tend to after one of those big races, eat and drink almost anything I can get my hands on, right? I think at that point your body is really ready to replenish because even if you're eating. I mean, it's not easy to eat when you're running 100 miles. And I, I've never been in a place where I haven't been really, really ready to eat as much as possible. I mean, usually in the, the 100 mile races, I'll try to get into a hotel that has like a good breakfast buffet the next morning and then put the place out of business. Um, <laughs> you know, just come in and drink as much water as possible and just go to town eating and getting salts and getting everything else before going yeah. to yeah. I also read that spicy foods might spice, spice up your or speed up your metabolism a little bit, which I thought was interesting. Uh, I would just close in saying that uh, what I think is the most important thing is what I've been preaching for a long time, which is we really want to be healthy under the hood. We want to have a good weight and we want to just be overall healthy with our blood work and everything else. We need to be well-rounded in the way we live our life. We need to sleep at least seven hours a night, preferably seven and a half to eight hours. We need to be active and move consistently throughout the day. You know, um, this great book by Sanjay Gupta, who is the brain surgeon at CNN, he just came out with a great book called Keeping Sharp. It's about the brain, but it's really a health book, and I recommend every single person on this call 
read that book or listen to the book. It is fascinating. It says the only thing that really can keep the brain healthy that's been proven is exercise. There have been some drugs for the brain off, off been even taken off the market after 15 years of, you know, being tested. So it's exercise. But he also says people that sit more than eight hours a day increase the risk of Alzheimer's and dementia by multiples and uh, can, can not live as long. And he said, just getting up two minutes every hour, you know, I always say three to five minutes an hour of activity. He says two minutes an hour can almost negate not moving the rest of that hour, which is fascinating. Okay. And you feel a lot better. It's about new, it's about being good, eating good nutrition and mo a lot of whole foods and, you know, fiber and plants. You know, it's about trying to do some combination of, uh, of strength exercise and aerobic exercise. A lot of the experts will say that they want you to get 150 minutes a week, which is 30 minutes, five days a week. You know, like these things are all really important. We should be nutritarians where we're trying to get a lot of good uh, food and, and um, nutrients into our body. We want to drink some water, but not too much. We want to drink some green tea. These are the things that I came across the most. Who wants to add something in closing there? Who's going to, what changes is somebody going to make? Tony, you're up. Well, I just wanted to put a plea in for what I call light salt. You guys are talking about salt tablets, which is sodium. Sodium is something in, in the caveman days, we had trouble getting enough of it, but now we actually get too much of it. But we now have trouble getting enough potassium. So my gentle suggestion is buy some light salt because it's potassium chloride. It has a slightly different taste, but you can more or less dump it on your food, you know, willy nilly, because it doesn't hurt anything. Uh, let me, let me retract that. You can put a fair amount of it on your food and it's still safe and effective. And you might, Jim, your legs might be twitching because of potassium. So safe thing to try. I, I try that and, you know, iodine is the other thing you do want to get. So a lot of salts mm -hmm. that I use don't have iodine anymore because those are the lower quality salts. So I actually have to take something that has iodine as a, as a, um, whole plant food person, plant-based person. So I supplement with iodine every day. I know Emilio, you get it through the seaweed, the sea flakes that you eat or whatever, which is great. Um, but yeah, I think people, I hear it all the time from people like, oh, I gotta be really careful with myself. They don't put salt on their food at all. I'm generous with myself on my food. You know what I mean? I just try and get the higher quality stuff and I try and make sure I get iodine into my body. Justin, Shruti, anything? Any other comments? And um, Shreen was, Shreen's my wife. Uh, she was making, um, for breakfast, she made buckwheat groats um, with milk and cardamom. It's pretty good. And I threw berries in there and some nuts and some pumpkin seeds. Does it mix it up, you know, as a little change from oatmeal? So, you liked it? Yeah, I mean, after I added enough other stuff, it's a little bit more dense, right, than oatmeal. Oatmeal is a little, um, you know, it's more pleasing to the palate. And the buckwheat was a little bit more harsh. But, but if you add enough, you know, like other stuff to it, 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 it makes it pretty good. I thought it was a, I thought it was a good option. To vary it yeah. up. Yeah.
we want to get as many different nutrients into our body as we can and as much fiber as we can. So the more different types of plants you can have in that bowl also. We had some berries, you know, instead of having all blueberries, put some blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, have the same quantity, but just have different types because you get the different nutrients into your gut bacteria. So important. And good for us. Shruti, you get the last word. I have one minute. <laughs> Uh, no, I've just been following your advice on the on the meals, trying to, um, you know, I think I've almost 100% gotten um, uh, sweeteners and sugars, artificial sugars out of uh, uh, my uh, diet completely. Um, wherever possible, I substitute with things like dates or um, in extreme cases, honey maybe, but never any sugar and i think the yeah and the most important i feel like uh, and was discussed a lot was also sleep cycle and i think that is also i agree fully that uh, key to um not just i think not just metabolism but just i think overall fitness um i've noticed on days that i don't sleep well the entire day's activities, you know, right from work to uh, workout to everything gets impacted by that. So yeah. absolutely. All these things are important, but sleep might be the most important, really. And sleep yeah. is the place that most of the people with our type of personalities and people that are like, are like us that are always very busy, where we chintz the most, and it's probably the place we should chintz the least. I agree fully, yeah. Justin, you were a mute. Would you say? Uh, I think uh, Michaela is back there. Or... Oh, yeah, she was back here. I'm taking, her, I'm taking her to gymnastics right now. Ah, all right. You got to go back on duty. On duty. All right. Thanks a lot. Great discussion, guys. Hope to Thank see you guys you. all soon. See you, Tony. Hey, stay well, Thanks, everybody. Tony. Thanks, Trudy, Jeff. Yep. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye.